there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, now Advanced Medicine Money. Money? Is it? What, you know what? It must be Neil Shulman when he talked about monetization of the medical schools and stuff, medical system. Hey, Dr. Batar, are you here with me? I am, Robert. How are you? <laughs> the doctor is really in now. Yeah, he was. Shulman was funny, the guy that did uh, uh, the Doc Hollywood movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got, he's got a, a good heart. A really good heart. I, I, you know, I, I feel for these docs that are, are going in, training, and I hope that they don't beat the heart out of them, uh, if you will. It's kind of a weird thing to say, heartbeat and beating the heart out of somebody. But uh, I think the medical training is, is really doing that to these kids. Well, I think that it'll be interesting what the ramifications are of the uh, Obamacare or Obama Act or whatever you want to call it that's mm-hmm. coming down the pipeline because, you know, we've heard – from a lot of people that the number of doctors leaving the practice of medicine has been exponentially increasing over the last few years. But I think next year is going to be really an interesting year because the number of doctors that are needed right now is greater now than ever. And the number of doctors leaving the profession of medicine is greater than ever. And then what they're doing in medical school and what they're trying to teach in medical school is becoming more and more horrendous. So you know, it's an interesting scenario that we that we're creating for our future generations, especially in the area of health and wellness. Well, they've already trained TSA agents to do colonoscopies and X-rays, so you know, maybe that's where they're going to go next for more docs. Maybe, maybe they will. <laughs> I mean, you think about it. They, you know, these young kids going in, they have to be more aware because. Listen, these generations now have been hammered by vaccines, for instance, like no other generation before, and their parents have begun to question it. So I imagine they're going into medical school with a different perspective than than those before them. And it looks like, you know, we got an an email kind of response on this particular topic as Sandra, who we've heard from before, says her daughter is now going into the Keck School of Medicine at USC. I think that... Is Keck School of Medicine, I don't know if that's University of South Carolina or University of Southern California. I think it's South Carolina. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But she says here about the vaccines issue that they are learning about them in such a way to say Gardasil is good and wonderful, even though they acknowledge that some girls die. They promote this concept of the greater good theory. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. Um I, I don't even know, Robert, what to say. Sometimes it's just, you know, you almost have to laugh at it, the greater good. Like, let's give somebody something that we know is not supposed to be in the body, mm-hmm. and the greater good is the ones that survive. You know, looking at looking at the um, agricultural literature, mm-hmm. uh, animal husbandry, they've shown that in dogs and cats especially – the leading immunologists that have done research and done titers on the rabies and parvo and some of these other vaccines, mm-hmm. they found that to give an inoculation, a lot of vets recommend, you know, at four weeks, at six weeks, definitely by eight weeks. Um, they'd found that titers done on these animals after giving the vaccines, amazingly, 
only 14% seroconverted at eight weeks. 14%, 14 out of 100 animals given the vaccine even had a response to it as far as um, building antibodies. So what's happening to the other 86%? Well, their immune system isn't even developed enough yet to mount an immune response, assuming that that theory is even valid. But then you start thinking about what is the introduction. You know, we, we know obviously about the formaldehydes and the heavy metals and the uh, various DNA adducts and all those components that are in the vaccines. We understand all that. But what about and this is something that I started thinking about just recently. What about the – it's almost like misfiring a gun. You know, how many times do you click the trigger or pull the trigger on a dry fire? And obviously dry firing is, is an acceptable way of training, but it also is not good for the firing pin. So what would the analogy be if you keep on dry firing on the immune system? I mean, what are the implications? I have no idea what that would do, but it's almost like the boy crowd wolf. Is that something that could possibly be contributing to these weird anomalies that the immune system starts to have to deal with? And the burden aspect is one. The, the heavy metal oxidative damage from the metals and from the additives, that's another. Right. The allergenicity aspect is another one. But then what about the the mistraining, if you will, of the immune system in the ones that do get it at, at, a, at the appropriate time but the appropriate time they found was in the dogs and cats at 12 weeks it was like a 23 percent 25 percent seroconversion at 16 weeks now you were getting to like 60 70 percent seroconverted and i believe it was between 16 and 20 weeks that you had the closest as far as actual building any immunity again assuming that you believe in that theory sure. and I, I and i think that the theory is probably okay if you're going to do if you're going to go ahead and vaccinate but what's the purpose of all this other crap that's in the vaccines the dna addicts the mutated human cell lines the uh, brain of dogs the kidneys of pigs the you know chicken embryos and what is the purpose of all of that well that is a good question and you know it can't be for good purpose because there's no nobody would argue that those things are not toxic even at minute levels although they try but the the reason if if their goal is as they claim just to stimulate some sort of antibody response uh, what would this you know you, these studies that you've recognized in the veterinary medicine realm what would it indicate in terms of how soon after uh, birth, they attack, uh, for instance, a little baby with a hepatitis B vaccine. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And th- you know, th- there's this also concept of incorporation of DNA within our own DNA. Mm-hmm. And th- there's there's a theory about the assimilation of other proteinaceous substances that we take into our own system. For example, um, some of the DNA mutated lines that they've, like Monsanto has done with the various grain products you know if you take a part as liam likes to say you take <laughs> I, I remember from the advanced medicine seminar in chicago he he really painted a beautiful picture but you know you have this bug repellent that you can incorporate into the genome of the grain and then the animals eat the grain but the the bug repellent was put into the grain product into the right into the wheat or whatever so to prevent the insects from eating it so now the animals eat it and, of course, they've got this insecticide bomb going off inside the gastrointestinal tract. So, you know, th- there's obviously these types of uh, detrimental components. But what about the actual incorporation? If we eat protein, mm-hmm. then that protein is going to be broken down into polypeptides, into peptides that the body will then incorporate. You know, the peptides are broken into amino acids, and the amino acids are used to reconstruct, regenerate tissue 
you know, from injuries, you know, new muscle, bone, hormones, et cetera, et cetera. So if we're taking in things that are abnormal and then we're trying to break it down so the body can now use that to assimilate and to, or to assimilate to in order to regenerate, then what are we regenerating into? What are we actually doing mm-hmm. to the system itself? Because they incorporate, you are what you eat. Yes. Yeah. You know? So if you're eating anything that's been modified genetically in ways that didn't occur in nature, what are the unintended consequences? I, you know, I, I mentioned the Michael Crichton aspect of, you know, as he writes these books, whether it be Jurassic Park or other things, and he always, in his books, evidently, uh, well, he comes around to this concept of unintended consequences. You know, you've got these benevolent intelligentsia saying, hey, we can just do this and science will save us, and oops, we goofed again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, injecting things into the system you know, eating things, we kind of say, okay, well, yes, this could get incorporated into our own biological system. But injecting it, I would actually argue that that is vastly, exponentially more detrimental because at least when you digest these proteins and then they're trying to get you know, incorporated into your system, you've at least got some barrier where the body's own natural defenses from the gastrointestinal acid um, the, the entire extreme of acid alkaline component may end up actually breaking that down enough that it may not have as a detrimental effect. But when you introduce this stuff perientrally, there is no breakdown. It, I mean, it's going into the system, and there's what's protecting it is the perianteral route of administration of substances is completely unnatural. And the, 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 there's no adaptogenic component in the human species or any species that I know of mm-hmm. that would actually allow. Uh, a biological system, a physiological system to adapt and to, to buffer. You know, you eat something bad, mm-hmm. the, the acid in the stomach is going to break it down, but you inject something bad into your body, what's going to prevent it from assimilating into your system? Right. Absolutely. I've argued that this is violating however many thousands, millions, who knows, layers of immunity and just bypassing it as if it didn't exist, as if it didn't matter. Right, but I'm not even talking about the immune aspect anymore. Right. I mean, in immunity is one aspect, and, and, and we're talking about we know that the heavy metals and those components, we know there's an oxidative component here, we know that there's an immune system component here, we know there's an allergenicity component here. But now I'm talking about the assimilation of these substances within our own genetic makeup. Well, yeah, but you, you've definitely violated, uh, let's say, the, the basic level walls that would be barriers to that kind of introduction. Just like right. I mean, you're saying that, but it's like... I just, I still scratch my head every day when I think about it. It's like supposedly smart people don't even think about this, and they go ahead and inject, and they go ahead, not only that, but in this little letter from Sandra saying that the, the, the professors are now learning, or the professors are teaching in medical school how to counter, for these med school students, how do we counter parents that don't want to vaccinate their kids? Yeah, I'll say, you know, that what parents should do is take that movie, Island of Dr. Moreau, yes. and play it back to him and say, this is what I don't want to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know how they'd handle that. But, uh, this, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. We get a letter like this, and I know it's not surprising to you, but still, when I see it, it's like, well, you know, I, I joked about, uh, you know, med school 101 at a certain point, they, they would teach you. Uh, when you don't know what to say, just tell them that they'll grow out of it, right? Like they told me so many years ago. Uh, and by the way, we've got to take a break here. It's Advanced Medicine Monday on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Dr. Rasha Batar is here. I've got a question about Ty Bollinger to Dr. Batar. I'm going to ask him after the break, and we'll talk more about this letter that we got from Sandra as well. Stand by. Lots more healing to go on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Batar after this. You're listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show.
The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Back at it on Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Bittar. I am exhausted. I got to hang out the whole weekend with Ty Bollinger, Dr. Bittar. You know, it's exhausting. Ty, it's just he just goes and goes and goes. And, you know, we actually had a fun night uh, on Saturday night. We, we went out to my favorite restaurant in Atlanta. We had an organic meal. And afterwards, on a spur of the moment, he says, hey, are the Braves playing in town? And they were. And we happened to be, find a way to get in for free, park for free. And there's a story we're going to share on Wednesday. But i got to ask you this. I took a picture, the first picture I took of him while we were there, just to prove to the kids we all went. He made a, he, what did he, he went and made a big old muscle. Like he's like, I'm carrying my guns in here to the Braves game. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, what is that? Is that is that something you do? Is that normal? What is Ty doing when he's doing that? What are you asking me for, man? I told you a long time ago you should go. You should refer Ty to a psychiatrist. I <laughs> okay, I just thought you you knew him longer than I did. I mean, we're all good buds and everything, but I figured maybe you had some man, insight. I'm a doctor, not a not a psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> some I, people would say, "Well, a psychiatrist is a doctor." Well, I tend to. I yeah. Tend, I no tend to question that. Psychiatrist, them. Just joking. Oh my gosh! Well, listen, the the, the, the psychiatrists that drug everything that move, uh, we're we're not joking. But for the others, okay. Um, now back on the the uh, vaccine issue. I, I just I don't know why I'm surprised by this with a drug uh, medical school I should say curricula. Now last hour we had Dr. Neil Schulman on for the first time. He's a good guy, you know. He's uh, really looking for options, trying to to bring other things in, but he's very keenly aware of the patent medicine concept and the profit, you know, focus, the monetization of everything in medicine. Uh, but you know, to this point, I, were they? Do you remember in med school where they were actually teaching you this is how you handle parents? who don't want to vaccinate their children. I mean, that I, I was the first time I had direct knowledge of it from somebody. I don't remember ever having a lecture like that, Robert, but I do remember having lectures that dealt with a lot of social-type issues. So mm-hmm. lectures about how to deal with geriatric patients because they're facing their inevitable uh, inevitable death coming down the pipeline, those type of things. So I'm not surprised that they're doing this with how to deal with parents and, and the vaccine issue. It's not surprising at all. But, you know, sometimes uh, we've discussed this before, too, on the air, that they're desperate. They're getting desperate. They're, as mm-hmm. time goes on and as the the beast starts to lose its power, it starts to go into a death struggle. And I think that for enough people of reasonable intellect that are in medical school and they start listening to these types of lectures, they're going to know inherently that there's something wrong with this. How, if, a, if a parent feels, if you have to deceive a parent and you have to convince a parent to do something like vaccinate their child, then inherently there's something going on. There, you know, A parent's natural instinct, the parental component of any animal species, their natural component is to the natural desire, the natural function is to protect their offspring. I mean, you see this with every type of species. So if now, I'm not saying that everybody's going to see this, but I'm, I'm sure there's going to be enough new doctors coming out that are going to question, why are we mm-hmm. being taught how to go against the natural instinct of a parent to protect their child? Yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right. I I think that it, it this this generation, these younger docs wannabes, if you will, are growing up in an era where there is a lot of a lot more questioning of authority than any time in my lifetime, and the parents are are, are witnessing children being devastated by vaccines. So these could be siblings 
of those who were vaccine injured. And so I, I don't know. I, I mean, I had that. I've actually had that, Robert. I have actually had. Yeah, there's a child um, that they're they're listeners of the show. They're they've been patients of mine for many years, and um, the young boy was brought to me from Louisiana, and um, great family, and very very supportive throughout the years. The oldest son of this family, the oldest brother, the, the child that I treated was the youngest one. The oldest one was in medical school at the time. Actually, had just started medical school or maybe it was in the senior year in college, was getting ready to start medical school. Went to Tulane University all through medical school. They had their, you know, issues where the son started telling the parents that, you know, you're crazy, you're wasting your time and money, why are you treating, you know, why are you doing this with the, with my brother type of thing. Uh-huh. But he also knew that the, you know, his brother was injured. Yes. Didn't know what it was. And then he watched the evolution himself of his brother coming out of this as we treated him. Um, he decided to go into neurology himself. He did a fellowship in neurology after. Whoa, wait, this, this is fascinating. I, I want to understand the story. Let's take another break here. Bottom of the hour on the Robert Scott Bell Show. we got Dr. Rasha Bittar, as we do each and every Monday. Check it out. International best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. All the links are up. MedicalRewind.com. If you haven't listened to a show in a while, you can catch up right now. We'll be right back. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right. Advanced Medicine Monday continues here. Even though I'm exhausted, Dr. Batar is carrying the baton of energy. <laughs> the, the I healing, don't know about that. <laughs> no? Well, we we're both exhausted today for whatever reason, anyway. Uh, but glad to be back on board with you. Cool Advanced Medicine Monday. We've done a lot of, a lot of interesting t- topics already. And you, you, you brought up this thing that you actually know of a case of a sibling who one of the kids was a vaccine damage now they're in medical school going into some yeah, things it's one of our, actually it's one of our patients I okay mean, um, luke is his first name i won't say the last name but yeah his, his mom and dad you know like i said have been great uh, supporters of our practice and referred a lot of people to us over the years and you know luke comes in once every year now even though he doesn't need to he's you know neurotypic in normal school doing fantastic and uh, so the evolution of his brother was first telling his parents that they were not doing the smart thing. They were doing something wrong. You know, there was no... By, was no by, bringing, by bringing him to you? Right. But he was okay. you know, pretty young. He was, he was just finishing college. He was starting medical school. He watched his own brother get better and then became uh, uh, motivated because of his brother's story and because of his brother's history. I think that's the reason that he went into neurology and ended up doing internal medicine and neurology and... Eventually, um, you know, parents talked to me about this a year or two ago, maybe maybe three years ago, that, that um, he wanted to possibly rotate with me. This was before he finished his fellowship. Now he's a practicing neurologist. Okay. But certainly is um, very much aware of what happened. And this is an evolutionary process that we all go through, you know, ourselves. You can't be a preacher in your own house anyway. We know that. And so this doctor was, at that time, you know, he thought he knew everything. And I remember going through that same phase myself, um, you know, sitting in the emergency room, feet kicked up on the table, thinking, bring me anything, I can handle anything, you know, I mean, right. when you've, you know, jumped on a person and split the chest open, do open cardiac massage to keep them alive and, and dealt with you know, all sorts of trauma and gunshot wounds to the head and this and that and whatever, you know, and you help these people survive, you feel like you're invincible, you feel like I can, I can handle anybody, you know, you, you 
I can understand why sometimes doctors get that God complex, but you know, today, 22 years later, well, maybe 20 years since that type of experience that I had, I realized there's so many more things that we we don't know, and uh, I am truly humbled every time we have a patient that defies the odds and, and lives or continues to do better, but that evolutionary process that we as doctors go through, we as healers go through, and it's not just doctors, I think it's anybody that mm-hmm. goes through that learning phase you know i can't believe how stupid my father was when i was 19 and by the time i and how smart he became by the time i became 21 that's a that's a common common thing that we all go through so i think a lot of these young docs are going to go through that aspect too and um you know all i would say is any potential future doctor um that may be listening to this my godson is going into medicine my daughter's going into medicine um ask me advice about you know what type of medicine and it was hard for me we've talked we actually had a show about that robert remember we talked yeah about we did we talked about it and uh, you know it, what stimulates the thought again is sandra's question and uh, you can check it out it's listed in the show notes about her daughter going into this situation and having to counter the the basic lies the lack of science about vaccines and the blind allegiance to it as they're being trained to uh basically be shills or promoters of this and they know better already going in Right, and so I would tell any future potential doctor or anybody that's going into the healthcare industry that uh, remember that old adage: those who can't do teach. Mm. It's a sad thing to say, and uh, no offense to teachers because I've had some great teachers over my lifetime and my educational career, but um, that's a true statement. I think those that can't end up teaching. Mm-hmm. And uh, so be wary of what you learn. Did you ever see that movie? It was a war movie. I can't remember exactly which one. It was a, basically these guys go through basic training, then they get to Vietnam, and the the sergeant, the squad leader basically tells them, if you want to live, you know, he asks how many of you want to live, and they all will say they want to live. And he says, forget everything that you learned in basic training and do what I tell you to do. Right. And, and medicine is very much that way. You know, you learn all this stuff, and then you get into the real world, and you realize – Medicine has nothing to do with what we learn. Nothing. Wow. How often does that happen? And, of course, it makes it difficult to tell kids, just learn the stuff. You know, like, well, I'm never going to use this. Well, and, and of course, put hide the kids, cover their ears, because, yes, indeed, I admit, even after college, or especially after college, I look back and had to unlearn a lot of what I learned all the way through up to that point. No, you're right. I think the benefit of college, though, Robert, mm-hmm. is uh, twofold. One, it stamps your ticket. That's not a real benefit, but it, you know, if you're going to be, when in Rome, do as the Romans do type of thing. But the other aspect about college that is good, I think the process of learning, we learn how to learn when you go through the educational system. It doesn't mean that what we're going to learn is good or sound, but the process of learning, um, the creation of that desire to learn, the inquisitiveness, etc. I think that's a part of the education process that is good that then stimulates a person to want to continue to learn after they get out. And I think those are the really educated ones because when we get out, then we realize what well, there's a lot more information out there. And because of the advent of the internet, it's made learning a lot easier. You get to see differing opinions and, and you don't have a biased one sided viewpoint that you're going to only be exposed to. So I think the process of learning is where the educational process mm-hmm. going through the educational system um, there is a value to that. Well, and then the secondary question there is, what are you learning? Of course, we can say, yeah, it was a process, but what did, the, what did you end up with? Did you become a doctor, and do you become a prescriptionist, or are you a physician in the origin of the word teacher, healer? 
And there's an article here, I believe it's on Fox News, asking that very question, is your doctor prescription happy? And it, It's a kind of a silly question, though, because we know that as a, you know, th- this is Men's Health magazine that the article came out. And so they're actually trying to make the argument that, well, hey, maybe your doctor's prescription happy. But we know that all doctors, by definition, are prescription happy. If they weren't, they wouldn't be doctors. Hmm. And, you know, when you're talking about what are you learning and what, what are they going to end up learning when they graduate, well, there are still people... I mean, I'm an example. There's many other doctors that you know of the same way that we learned the same thing, but we came to a conclusion because our minds, it didn't make sense to us. You know, we saw other things. We continued to learn and saw the fallacy of what we had been taught. So I think that part of it will probably, humans will always end up having to deal with those challenges of being taught the wrong things. And history is just littered with examples of that in all aspects, in all fields of uh, endeavor. So I think that's nothing unique in medicine, but, you know, it's the concept of the learning process, I think, that is important. And that's one reason I am going to and and have encouraged and will always encourage my children to get the educational process because it's not important what they're learning. It's important that they learn how to learn. It's important that they get create that desire to learn. Mm-hmm. And then whatever whatever they've learned and whether they need to unlearn it or not, you know, you survived, I survived, and they'll survive. Yeah. Well, in this case, number one on the agenda for this prescription-happy doctor is that viruses don't respond to antibiotics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a a common thing. It's a very, very common thing. In fact, 20 years ago, uh, I remember one of the articles that came out in the emergency medicine literature when I was uh, doing a lot of ER work in the Army and moonlighting. You know, 82% of people that had viral conditions would get prescribed uh, actually it was it was otitis media 82 percent mm-hmm. of otitis media is viral in etiology but everybody gets antibiotics for it wow and you know, has that improved do you know if that's improved over the years well i think it's probably been forced to improve because there's so many so many bugs out there that are antibiotic resistant now mm-hmm. um but i think i told you a story once i don't know if it's on the air or off the air about the hospital administrator that came down and tried to tell me that i had to write a prescription for it a woman that had brought her child in for an ear infection and and um you know basically when an administrator says something everybody jumps at it and right i kind of said well, i tell you what you know why don't you write the prescription for it and i said oh that's right you don't have the privilege of writing a prescription you know that's right you didn't go to medical school so and i just basically dogged him and everybody's looking at me like i was i just committed professional suicide <laughs> which, which i probably had but you know yeah. i uh continue working in that ER because the ER director liked me. But the point is, it's very common for people to just, they have no idea. They, in their mind, it's like water. You know, you need it when you're thirsty. And an antibiotic is going to fix everything. It doesn't matter whether it's a parasite, it's a yeast, it's a virus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. They think an antibiotic is a solution to everything. It's just like an x-ray. Everybody that comes into the emergency room expects to get an x-ray. Right. They want an x-ray. You know, and it's like uh, an x-ray has never been therapy. I want an x-ray. Yeah. yeah. You don't understand the side effects of getting exposed to x But, you know, you can tell the person. The person walks in. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. yes, it's still possible they could have a stress fracture. and But the mechanism of injury, you can tell it's a sprain, whatever the case is. And most of the time, 
Yeah, there's a there's a situation where people can miss a fractured bone because they didn't get an X-ray, and that has happened. But the incidence of that is like you know maybe one percent, and the person will come back in a couple of days, and when you recheck, when the swelling's gone down, you can get a better uh, X-ray anyway. When there's not enough soft tissue, when there's not so much soft tissue um, distortion in the X-ray, but mm-hmm. everybody expects to get an X-ray, and most injuries, you know, don't they don't require an X-ray because you didn't break anything. But it's, again, that same type of fallacy: antibiotics for everything, yeah, um, pain medicines for everything. Well, the, the second one on the list is interesting. Ask for narrow-spectrum antibiotics if your condition calls for it. How do you explain that to a layperson, to ask for a narrow-spectrum antibiotic? Well, I think exactly what the, this article is from Men's Magazine, Men's Health Magazine. So I think that's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to educate the patients into uh, you know, telling their doctor um, what to do because – you need to be protected by your doctor, I guess. So they're giving you advice how to protect yourself from your doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but most doctors will write for a shotgun because it's easier. They don't want to miss it. They just kind of, you know, there's a fly there. Let's pull out the bazooka. And yeah, but doesn't, doesn't that risk uh, the patient uh, and their health? I mean, to go for the, the, you know, the major explosive napalm that kills everything well, as absolutely. opposed to what's needed, yeah. Absolutely it does, yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think that's, that's why this... Uh, Author is writing that to kind of give the advice that ask your doctor for that narrow focused uh, antibiotic. But then what's going to happen is if you say that, the doctor's going to look at you like you're a know it all and, you know, no, I'm going to give you something else. You know, if you, get, if you tell the doctor, if you can ask the doctor, request for the doctor to do something that the doctor knows is right, I will tell you that probably 75% of doctors will do something different, even though they know it's not the best because they don't want the patient to know as much as them and they want to exercise their authority. Mm-hmm. And their ego will motivate them to do something, you know, in, in their world, that's not a big deal if you do it different. Yeah, that's not what I would have done. I would have probably done what the patient said, but I'm not going to do what the patient said because the patient said it. Right. So I well, don't want the patient to be right. I'm the doctor. It, it's interesting because they're, they're encouraging these patients to say, it's okay, doc. It might be a virus. You don't have to give me an antibiotic. I mean, it's like, <laughs> be, be, be gentle with your doctor. Tell them it's okay yeah. that they yeah. don't have to prescribe. Oh, my gosh, we're on a break. Take, take a break. We're going to be right back. Dr. Batar and I will wrap it up. Advanced Medicine Monday continues after this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. All right, we're back. Advanced Medicine Monday continues. I'm barely, barely making it here. I can't wait to rest. I don't know when that'll happen, but uh, you know, when we're passionate about what we do, we tend to continue driving through it. But uh, Dr. Batar pushing through it. I don't know if that's right because they don't want you to be pushy. This article is pretty interesting. The way they're coaching the patient to work with the doctor. Yeah, it is interesting and. One thing that I've never understood when patients have come into me and they've basically told me, well, you know, I'm getting better, Dr. Tar, and we're doing things here. But, you know, I went to my other doctor for my regular annual checkup and, and uh, you know, they were telling me, why are you off your statin drug? And why are you doing this? And why are you doing that? And, you know, they're kind of pushing me. And, you know, so I started back on the medication. And I could look at this patient and I said, what, what, what are you saying? You've done what? You know, I, I kind of felt bad because the doctor, you know, I didn't want to upset him. Uh-huh. I have to tell people, well, you know, if if that's the concern that you have, then you're upsetting me right now because you're hurting yourself. Oh, no, I don't want to do that, doctor. I don't want to hurt you. I'm like, listen, I'm just being facetious. But the point is, 
you go to a doctor to get better. You don't go to a doctor to make him feel better. You don't go to a doctor to appease him. Mm-hmm. And for God's sake, for anybody that's out there listening, if you feel that you need to appease your doctor, you need to find yourself another doctor. Mm. I mean, you, you literally have to find yourself another doctor because you should never, ever feel like you have to follow the orders of your doctor, especially if innately within you, in your heart, you feel that it's the wrong thing. And I, I had a note that came in yesterday. Um, Last week, from one of my patients that I haven't seen in probably, let's see, it's no exaggeration, 11 years. 2002 was the last time I saw him. And it was a note that came in. He's now living in Dallas. He's uh, He has hepatitis C. Mm-hmm. We treated him. His viral counts came down to almost nothing. And he's done wonderfully well. We referred him to another doctor when he moved to Colorado. And um, so he'd written in and said, Dr. Patari, you know, I haven't talked to you in years. Uh, just wanted to find out. I'm, I'm getting these treatments from this doctor here in, in Texas, and I'm not feeling the same effect that I did back then, and I was wondering if you could kind of help me out, that, that type of thing. And mm-hmm. it, it kind of, you know, I'm really bad with names anyway, but his name I remember because he's a six-foot-seven guy. He's a, he's a graphics designer. I think we might have even talked about him before. But, you know, I used to get in yelling matches with this guy, like literally screaming at him. Really? And he would really? scream at me, yeah, because, you know, it, it was one of those type of things that, I mean, our relationship – and I've had this with a couple of patients of mine, but the relationship was such that I wanted, uh, if I tell a person to do something, I'm not doing it because I want them to appease me. I want right, them to do right. it because they, they, need to, they need to do something for themselves to, to get better. And if a person is doing something that's detrimental, for example, we don't take care of smokers. If somebody's smoking, hey, that's your choice, but you're not going to smoke while you're my patient. Have a nice life. I'm going to discharge them from the practice because I don't want to deal with it. And I've told people that if you want to die, that's your business. You have every right to do stupid things and hurt yourself, that's fine. But you're not going to do it while I'm your doctor. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to watch it. So have a nice life. Mm. And people, I think, um, have never had, at least these patients had never had a doctor talk to him like that. And this particular guy, you know, we got in a screaming match. I don't even remember what it was about, but it was about his health. And um, it was about him doing something. And, uh, you know, obviously close relationships are built that way because you realize that, I think he said something about that you uh, you cared enough to scream at me when, wow. when, when I needed it. So he appreciated it. And so, oh yeah, he. I mean, at, at the time, you know, you're screaming at each other, but yeah, he he did appreciate. It. I've actually had that happen with two patients. Both of them were huge guys. Now, I've never yelled at anybody that's smaller than me, so that's <laughs> at least that's good. But but you know, it's it's one of those things that they have to. A person has to understand that the relationship with their doctor is based upon the doctor providing a service to you that you yourself can't do, and if you feel guilt because you're doing not not doing what the doctor's saying and and intuitively your heart tells you you need to do a but the doctor's telling you to do b and you do b because you feel guilty if you don't do b uh, and you but yet your body's telling you to do a you need to find yourself another doctor i mean that that's to be in that level of conflict in your life is not a good place to be yeah especially when you're trying to heal and and, exactly you know just real briefly we're almost out of time but uh at the weekend cancer conference in atlanta i was with a tie and and uh Linda Isaacs, who works with Dr. Nick Gonzalez, and there was a woman we met, and she wrote the foreword to Dr. Gonzalez's book about what went wrong, the sabotage of his clinical trial at Columbia. And she's a 13-year survivor from pancreatic cancer with no chemo, no radiation. They wanted to do surgery. They said she was ill. She said, no, I don't want to do it. 13 years later, she's alive. Mm. Incredible. Mm-hmm. It is. And, of course, somebody's trying to call us right when we're uh, at the tail end of the uh, show, so we're going to have to sign off. 
You've been listening to the Advanced Medicine Monday version of the Robert Scott Bell Show. Dr. Rasha Bittar, thanks for uh, keeping me up. All right, Robert. Good, good talking to you, and I'll see you next Monday. Yeah, check it all out. Medical Rewind is there for all of the archives if you haven't been uh, listening for a while, and you can catch up there. In the meantime, just remember this. It's the God's honest truth that the power to heal is yours. Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.